Well, good afternoon, everyone. I'm Austin Deerfeld, Extension Educator and Southeast Regional Economist in the Department of Agricultural Economics. Thanks for joining us today. This is part of a series of webinars produced by our Extension Farm and Ranch Management Team that typically runs every Thursday at noon. Farm program payments are a significant part of the bottom line for farmers and ranchers. Whether from existing commodity programs, agricultural disaster assistance, or trade and COVID-19 relief. Today, we will review current USDA program details and projections, including payments due to producers this month. We'll also hear about the broader outlook for farm income and how these national projections and state level analyses provide a baseline for economic outlook and farm policy issues and decisions in the future. Presenting today is Dr. Brad Lubin, Associate Professor and Extension Policy Specialist in the Department of Agricultural Economics. Brad, I'll turn it over to you. Austin, thank you very much uh, for the introduction and, and for the uh, uh, assistance here today to, to make this presentation. I'll share, now share my uh, presentation. I want to confirm that you're seeing my title slide. Looks good. Fantastic. Again, thank you, Austin. Uh, thank you for the, uh, the introduction. Uh, thanks to those that are joining us here for the opportunity to visit with you and, and discuss the current farm income situation in Nebraska and farm program payments, both projections, uh, calculations of what we have to date and projections of what we think we are looking at in the future here. Uh, I want to start it with by uh, some recognition here of what the broader safety net looks like. We have the commodity programs, the Title I programs, uh, and I'm focusing here on the crop programs, uh, but these are the Title I programs that are authorized in the 2018 Farm Bill. We would add dairy programs in there as, as well, uh, but then that fundamentally represents uh, the Title I safety net. Uh, we have crop insurance programs, which are authorized uh, in Title 11 of the Farm Bill. Uh, they fundamentally represent part of the safety net, given the federal support for the crop insurance program. But they are obviously unique and, and different in that they are a producer purchase and a participation decision. And then we have emergency assistance. Importantly, there is already standing disaster assistance, permanently authorized disaster assistance, uh, that we'll talk about briefly, that is technically part of Title I. So I should clarify Title I being traditional commodity programs plus uh, the standing disaster assistance programs. But then we have also had substantial ad hoc support, ad hoc uh, programs, whether uh, legislated through Congress or whether directly implemented uh, through USDA, uh, various ad hoc programs over the last three years that have added to uh, the safety net for producers and have added substantial uh, payments, but also come with sort of relatively little long-run framework for how they are, are implemented or, or what they provide. We start with commodity programs. Uh, start with just a comparison of the reality that we have commodity programs when we focus on ARC and PLC, uh, the Agricultural Risk Coverage Program or the Price Loss Coverage Program. ARC was the predominant program utilized in Nebraska in under the 2014 Farm Bill, uh, but under the 2019 20 uh, under the 2018 Farm Bill, we had a new decision for 2019-2020. There was a substantial shift nationwide uh, away from ARC and toward PLC for corn and uh, for soybeans, um, for grain sorghum, for wheat, 
uh, peanuts, rice, and cotton, some of the southern commodities you see there were already overwhelmingly uh, PLC in the last farm bill and have remained so in this one. But there was a substantial shift toward PLC. Uh, these are national numbers, not Nebraska. We don't have state-specific numbers yet, but we would expect similar, uh, a similar shift. Substantial shift towards PLC because of price expectations and because of the potential safety net provided by either program. You will also notice there was a substantial shift toward ARC uh, at the individual farm or individual coverage level. Uh, and I would venture that most of that national enrollment was right here in the Midwest. As ARC IC became relevant for producers that knew they had already faced losses in 2019 uh, by the time that they were faced with the sign-up decision. So a dramatic increase in ARC uh, IC participation nationally uh, relative to what were minimal levels before. And I would venture that most of that is where it was relevant right here in the Midwest. So we look at some current uh, projections and current payments. And on the 2019 crop, the price loss coverage program uh, should be paid out to producers and in fact is being paid out this month. We have national prices, final uh, marketing year prices. Uh, based on those prices, we have PLC payment rates with a reference rate for corn of $3.70 and a final marketing year average price of $3.56. That ended up being a it should be a 14 cent payment rate, uh, typo there already. Uh, but it translates into more than a $20 per acre uh, payment rate. Uh, and if you recognize that uh, PLC payments are paid on 85% of base acres, that translates into something between 17 and $18 per acre in terms of cash flow to, uh, uh, to producers with corn base. Uh, grain sorghum base would be see substantial payments. Wheat base would see substantial payments. Soybeans finished the marketing year for the 2019 crop at 857, above the 840 reference rate, so no payment there. But trying to predict where that PLC payment will end up uh, is always gonna be a complicated uh, scenario. If you went all the way back to May of 2019, when the first USDA supply and demand projections in the WASD report were published uh, for the 19 crop, we started with a corn price projection that was down around 3.30. We started with a soybean price protection projection that was down around 8.10 or 8.20. Both of those would have triggered substantial PLC payment rates. But month by month, there's an updated price projection. Uh, we spent quite a bit of time above uh, the, uh, the reference rates to the tune that we would not expect any PLC payments. Uh, but then we dipped back below uh, here in 2020 uh, for corn, uh, we ultimately ended up at, uh, at the 356 rate that we just uh, discussed. For soybeans, we ultimately ended up at uh, just over the $8.40 reference price and so nothing for, uh, uh, for, for soybeans for, for the 2019 crop. But then I also plug in the 2020 crop. We just started making projections, or we saw projections in the WASDE report uh, as of May. We started with uh, low $3 and low $8 projections that again would presume rather substantial PLC uh, payment rates on the 20 crop that would be paid a year from now. But with the rally since August, we in fact are at a point now where uh, the corn payment rate uh, would project to a price of 360 and only be a 10 cent payment rate going forward. The soybean price is projected from below the reference 
to now a, a projection of $9.80 a bushel, far above the reference. And so just like that, suddenly the PLC program is, is really sort of out of the money. Now, we presumably are much better off and, and recognize we're, we would be better off with higher prices and lower government payments, but recognize that that cash flow is a substantial uh, part of the equation and looking ahead what cash flow could be on the 2020 crop a year from now, um, a modest payment for corn, grain, sorghum, wheat, again, nothing projected for soybeans. Now compare PLC to the ARC program. For 2019, I want to look first and note that the benchmark price in the ARC program, there's a revenue guarantee tied to a benchmark price, a benchmark yield, and thus a benchmark revenue. And then the protection is 86% of that benchmark revenue. Well, with the benchmark price in there uh, for corn at, at 370, uh, that leaves you with the marketing year average price as we saw at 356. Uh, that's a four cent drop below the benchmark. To get to that 14% drop below benchmark revenue where ARC would begin to trigger, you would need an additional 11% drop in yield. Based on the analysis of ARC payment yields or ARC program yields that have been published by FSA, it appears that 6% of all of our county practice combinations for corn actually fell below that uh, yield triggering level that actually triggered an ARC payment for the 2019 crop to be paid this month. If you average up those minimal number of payments across all of the uh, crop and, and practices for corn, it's a minimal payment of about $1.85 per bushel on average across Nebraska. Where it gets paid, it may be substantial, but on average, it's a minimal part of the safety net this year. For grain sorghum, uh, with a benchmark price of $3.95 and an actual price that's 16% below, you actually would see ARC payments at average or at benchmark yields, uh, let alone even a couple percentage points above. And more than half of the grain sorghum uh, practice combinations across the state uh, appear to trigger this year. Soybeans, about a fourth of them do. Wheat, uh, about a third of them do. And you'll see modest uh, ARC payments projected accordingly. If we look ahead on the 2020 crop, uh, with today's price projections from the October uh, WASDE report, we see a small uh, price decline for corn and sorghum relative to the benchmark. That would demand a further yield loss before anything would begin to trade, uh, to, to pay under ARC. We can project that there would be some counties that are likely to uh, see that yield loss and thus expect uh, some ARC payments on the 20 crop paid next year. But it's difficult to project many that would. And until we see some uh, yield data by county, uh, it's certainly not really feasible to, to try and make a projection on actual payments. Uh, for soybeans, the benchmark price uh, was 925. The current projected market year average price was 980. That's 6% above benchmark. It would take a 19% yield loss to imagine triggering any soybean arc payments. I don't know that we'll see a county with a 19% yield loss, even in the midst of some of the, the dry conditions and, and perhaps uh, uh, yield drop off at the end of the season. Uh, it might be very doubtful that we would see yield loss if we maintain prices at those levels or better. So projections ahead for the 
ARC program on a 20 crop to be paid in 2021 look minimal uh, at best. I want to mention one part of that other part of the safety net, and I talked about crop insurance. Uh, the base price is the um, is the planting time uh, futures average price that's used as the base for both the revenue policies and as the established price for the yield policies. But if we look at the revenue policy guarantee, we use the higher the base or the harvest. Uh, as we see it today, at least based on futures price information through earlier this week, the projected harvest price is almost in line with the base price for everything except soybeans, in which case it's 13% above uh, what the base price was. Uh, that implies that the guarantee is effectively stable to increasing for the revenue policies. What that also means is that there aren't any um, uh, insurance indemnities really to be had unless there is a substantial yield loss uh, to be experienced. And that certainly will happen in places, uh, whether it's storm or drought or other uh, factors. Uh, but crop insurance is not a big part of the safety net in terms of price this year because ultimately the harvest price is very close or above where we started at, the, in the, at planting time. So then I mentioned the standing disaster assistance programs. And remember that there's a, a portfolio of disaster programs that are permanently authorized and funded. Originally created in the 2008 Farm Bill, uh, after they expired, they were reauthorized and permanently funded in the 2014 Farm Bill. They include LFP, the Livestock Forage Program, which is a forage disaster program tied to drought conditions, and thus the reference to the drought monitor. Uh, this is the current drought monitor from last week, uh, with showing drought conditions really encompassing almost all of the state, but severity conditions clearly in some areas. Uh, this is not, the, these were not the drought conditions throughout the entire growing season, so it's important to note there are certain parameters for L, how LFP works. And so some detail, LFP covers grazing losses due to drought, but it covers them by making payments to livestock owners and, and contract growers that face those grazing risks. And it ties the payment down there at the bottom to an estimated feeding cost. Uh, it says approximately 60, it should say approximately 60% of the monthly feeding cost for various categories of livestock. And I've shown the, the beef uh, cattle uh, categories there. If a county has a portion of the county in the drought monitor at the level of D2 for eight weeks, that qualifies for one monthly payment. If that county, any portion of that county is in D3 at any time, that qualifies for three months of payments. If it's in D3 for four weeks or D4 at any time, it's four monthly payments. And if it's in D4 for four weeks or more, it's five monthly payments. In Nebraska today, you have eligible counties for LFP assistance. The Panhandle, the Southwest, the Northeast, the areas where the intensity of the drought uh, was focused earlier this year during the grazing season. And so whether it's full season uh, pasture, improved pasture or native grass, uh, those counties uh, show up as eligible for one to four months of payments. And so LFP assistance is available at FSA. Uh, LFP assistance is a substantial um, uh, help for livestock producers uh, this year. And then we have 
a whole bundle of ad hoc programs. And I back up first to 2018 when these really first started to appear. The WIP program technically uh, is, is titled the Wildlife and Hurricanes Indemnity Program, or the Wildfire and Hurricanes Indemnity Program. I already had a slip of the tongue because WIP is actually an old acronym. It used to stand for the Wildlife Habitat Incentive Program on the conservation side. That program got wrapped up into EQIP. WIP as an acronym disappeared. Well, I guess in, you know, there's nothing new that, that didn't previously exist. So WIP has reappeared as an acronym. Uh, in 2018 legislation, it was, it was passed to provide loss assistance for 2017 losses, wildfires, hurricanes, and, and citrus. Uh, there were not substantial um, payments or, or supports from WIP that would have affected Nebraska producers at that time. But in 2018, then we also saw trade assistance directly from USDA, not technically uh, addressed or authorized through legislation, but directly administratively delivered from USDA. That trade assistance included market facilitation program payments, payments that were specifically tied to production uh, of a given crop that year based on that crop's estimated trade losses. And without the detail or the comparison of payment rates, et cetera, ultimately that translated into more than $8 billion of MFP payments across the US and about $575 million of payments in Nebraska. Some of them received in 18, some of them received in 19. It's worth noting trade assistance did include some additional funding for direct commodity purchases. That included lots of specialty crops as well as uh, uh, beef, pork, and, and dairy products. It also included funding to help leverage existing trade promotion programs. That was 2018. In 2019, we saw a return of WIP, but this time it was called WIP Plus. And in 2019, WIP Plus was authorized through uh, legislation to fund uh, assistance for losses in 2018 and 2019. And it was still hurricanes, uh, it was still wildfires, but it was also floods, tornadoes, typhoons, volcanoes, we don't have those in Nebraska either, snowstorms, drought, and excessive moisture. It was the pretty much the whole uh, potential uh, uh, peril list for agricultural disaster losses. Much like WIP, uh, WIP Plus was tied to uh, an estimated uh, a payment formula that paid revenue losses uh, below a guarantee, and that guarantee was a WIP factor based on the level of crop insurance purchased. If a producer didn't purchase crop insurance, the WIP factor was at 70%. If a person purchased additional or higher levels of crop insurance, that WIP factor would increase as high as 95%. That WIP plus program did also include, importantly for uh, producers in Nebraska and, and surrounding states, it included some assistance for on-farm storage losses, uh, as well as uh, the, this much talked about payments for preventive planning uh, and some direct uh, dairy program or dairy producer support as well. That was WIP Plus, and that included a discussion of uh, two to $3 billion in potential assistance. At the same time, USDA uh, released or, or announced a, the potential second round of trade assistance payments coming and ultimately uh, trade assistance for 2019 was announced, a return of the MFP program. 
payments weren't tied to a specific crop uh, or to production of a specific crop. Payments were now tied to planted acreage. And a payment rate by county was calculated based on uh, the mix of crops in that county multiplied by the, the weighted losses by crop. And so ultimately it became not a payment for production, but a payment for acres. And it was a payment for planted acres. There was a payment established for um, uh, acre, planted acres that were not planted because they were prevented plant, uh, but were ultimately planted to an approved cover crop. Without revisiting again all the sort of the logistics and the complications at that time, note that that was about $14.5 billion in the US, close to a billion dollars in Nebraska. And again, trade assistance in 19 did include some additional commodity purchase and trade promotion funding as well. Not that we want a reminder of 2019, but uh, in terms of WIP plus, uh, to be in a disaster county to be eligible for the program, that was ultimately most of the state, either for losses in 18 or losses in 19 or both, in fact. And then we get to 2020, and we now have CFAP. CFAP was announced uh, earlier this year. It was part of the CARES Act uh, legislation. CFAP provided assistance for market losses, roughly from the January to March time period, due to the price declines and the market disruptions from COVID-19. It included crop payments based on 2019 production that was held in inventory and was unpriced as of January. Uh, it did include additional payments for specialty crops uh, in, in multiple formulas uh, for crops that were had to be abandoned in the field or crops that had been delivered but not paid, uh, et cetera. But fundamentally, we're talking about 2019 production uh, that, uh, uh, that suffered price losses in the market in early 2020. We're also talking about substantial livestock payments first for sales during that early 2020 period, January to April, when price declines really uh, took note of the pre-COVID to sort of uh, right you know, at the heart of the, of the COVID uh, uh, downturn. Uh, it also made payments on inventory in that mid-April to mid-May time period uh, from, the, uh, from the depths of the COVID to the, to the uh, actual legislation or, or sign-up period. There were additional uh, livestock products like wool and eggs and aquaculture also uh, provided with assistance, but fundamentally beef, pork, uh, uh, sheep and lambs, et cetera. I should say cattle, swine, uh, sheep and lambs, et cetera. Milk production, uh, payments per hundredweight of milk production. All of that said, payments on CFAC1 were originally announced as $16 billion. Ultimately, as of this week, uh, a total of $10.2 billion has been paid out across the United States. Some estimation of, of whether $16 billion was assuming too many bushels or too many head of livestock that might actually be eligible, but fundamentally, um, CFAP1 spent less than originally projected. $10.2 billion nationally, about $716 million paid to date in Nebraska. That meant that there was roughly $6 billion of that original uh, authorization not yet spent. The secretary announced CFAP2, 
uh, more recently here. And CFAT2 has, has just recently started signup, uh, and signup continues through uh, mid-December. CFAT2 provides additional assistance. In this case, it's additional assistance for market losses that really have continued since uh, the CFAT1 uh, timeframe. Losses from, uh, uh, from, well, from January through July on, on production, uh, including uh, a broader list of eligible crops. So this time, instead of 2019 production that was held in inventory, it's tied to 2020 production that is presumably or would presumably have been marketed in, uh, in the 2020 calendar year. Whether that specifically means that's commodity that would have already been priced or whether it's just the amount marketed, ultimately there was a national marketing percentage calculated. So 2020 production, it's an estimated production level tied to a, a planted acreage uh, that was already submitted perhaps in acreage reports, tied to an estimated yield based on the producer's APH or the ARC County program yield if APH was not available. Uh, so the sign-up process was really very straightforward. The acreage theoretically is already reported, the yield is already uh, in records, uh, it's just a matter of confirming and, and, uh, and signing away. Uh, for crop payments, that translates into some substantial dollars. There's additional specialty crop payments as well. Uh, for livestock, producers would be required to uh, document inventory uh, on any date between an April and August period, so effectively a maximum inventory date, and then a payment per head. Uh, for milk, it was based on production uh, over the April to December uh, time period. The secretary announced CFAP2 and announced it as about $14 billion of assistance. If $6 billion was not spent on CFAP1, then it really represents an extra $8 billion above and beyond what was originally uh, proposed. To date, about $4.5 billion has already been distributed nationally, about $347 million here in Nebraska. Now, I stopped there with the detail on these ad hoc programs over 18, 19, and 20, but it's worth noting in 2020 as part of the CARES Act, there was also substantial assistance provided through the Paycheck Protection Program and the Economic Injury and Disaster Loan Program, both with uh, the U.S. Small Business Administration. There was also substantial assistance provided through uh, the Nebraska Small Business Stabilization Grant uh, through Nebraska Department of Economic Development and other programs uh, likely as well. Uh, but substantial dollars here uh, flowing to agricultural producers to assist in the losses uh, accumulated this year. Now, one note that may come up in a question, uh, there's a distinction between CFAP1 and CFAP2. CFAP1 covered losses on the 2019 crop that was effectively unpriced yet when uh, COVID losses really started to accumulate. So that sort of provided support on the bushels that lost price uh, or on the uh, commodities that lost value due to COVID. But it also meant that it sort of bailed out producers that had not done uh, any sort of pre-harvest or, or pre-sales, uh, pre any hedging activity. So it rewarded the, the unpriced uh, commodity. CFAP2, at least for crops, is calculated payment rate tied to an estimated marketing percentage, which would appear to say it's trying to pay producers that have already marketed 
uh, to offset the fact that, that they marketed at a loss. Uh, and now that we've had a recent rally, um, uh, the, uh, it's trying to reward only that marketed percentage. But it's a national calculated rate. So regardless of whether you did or didn't market your commodity already, uh, everybody gets the same payment rate. There's a distinction there. Uh, it does not really help provide a good signal to producers about price risk management activity, but that's a reality of, of the program mechanics. If I sum all these things up to try and give a picture of where we're at, Nebraska net farm income projections for 2020 actually look relatively strong. You see a price or a income projection there that is close to $6 billion, which in fact would be high relative to recent years. That $6 billion is more than $2 billion in government payments. Accumulating some MFP payments that did not actually arrive until 2020, as well as the CARES Act or the, C the CFAP payments, uh, as well as the PPP uh, loans, which effectively have been counted as payments, uh, as well as the Ag Disaster Assistance under WIP Plus or LFP or other programs. It is a substantial uh, um, uh, safety net for producers, the, the two billion plus in, in, in government payments, but it's also the primary reason why we're talking about higher net farm income or at least higher projections. Now, I've already also incorporated into these projections uh, the best I can, the price rally in commodities of the last two months. I start with farm income projections that USDA publishes, and they published uh, projections in early September based on August data. Uh, they published estimates for the US for 2020. They published official uh, farm income estimates by state uh, for 2019. So I have a 19 number from USDA that came in at just over $4 billion. I have a 20 number that I first estimate from uh, proxying national and state numbers. And then I make this adjustment that says, you know, a price rally of 50 cents on corn, uh, if we assume it's only on the unpriced portion, might be close to 500 or $550 million of value, uh, a bump up in farm income projections in just the last two months. A price rally of $1.40 on soybeans, uh, if again, we limit it to that less than half that theoretically is, is not priced yet, uh, is another 200 million plus of its own. We're talking three quarters of a billion dollars just in the price rally of the last two months. Remember, some of that gets fed to livestock, and so not all of that shows up in final farm income. Uh, if you back off uh, maybe a third of that, we still have a farm income number for 2020 that is about a half a billion dollars higher than what it was uh, at the beginning of September before the recent commodity price rally took effect. I recognize some of that price rally is a function of declining crop conditions or crop expectations. So there's a trade-off there in, in terms of what we what we expect or not. But uh, uh, but fundamentally, the rally plus government payments have made a sizable contribution to farm income projections here late in the year. Now I showed you farm income numbers. I wanna show you government program payment numbers uh, more specifically. When we're talking about $2 billion plus in Nebraska, uh, we're talking about a sizable share, more than three fourths of that actually coming from the supplemental and disaster assistance programs. Almost all of that ad hoc. I've estimated about $40 million from the standing disaster assistance programs 
uh, we'll see if that, uh, uh, if, if that should say the standing plus the width pro, uh, plus program. We'll see exactly where that final number could come out, uh, but that's important. Uh, but frankly, most of the government payment is ad hoc support at this time. There's uh, 200 to 250 million in uh, estimated commodity program payments, 200 million plus from PLC, uh, maybe 40 million plus from, uh, from the ARC program. Half of that maybe from ARC at the county level. Half of that I think in Nebraska could be ARC at the individual coverage level recognizing the close to 200,000 acres that signed up for ARC IC in the state and recognizing that there were already known losses uh, when that sign up occurred. There's about 150 million plus of conservation program payments that are fairly consistent year in and year out that show up there in the green bar. But again, more than three fourths of the, uh, of, the farm in, of the farm payment portfolio is ad hoc support at this time. That's the Nebraska picture, the national picture to give you the same, uh, the same picture. There's more than 28, almost $30 billion of ad hoc payments uh, at this time. That puts total projected payments above 40 or close to $40 billion. Uh, I, I said above, but close to $40 billion. That assumes of what's been announced uh, to date, about two and a half billion paid out on disaster programs, about 3.7 billion on the 2019 MFP that was paid in 2020, about 7.8 billion in the PPP program. Technically that came out as a loan. Uh, it may not be recognized as income until the loan is forgiven, but for uh, statistical purposes, USDA started, um, uh, Economic Research Service uh, put it into farm income estimates as an income factor and it certainly is cash flow. Uh, about 10.2 billion in CFAP one and a 14 billion announced package in CFAP two. With a sign up deadline in December, it's quite possible that much of that gets rolled into 2021. I made an assumption of 7 billion in 2020, 7 billion in 2021, that's debatable. But suffice it to say close to $40 billion in total government payments in 2020. If you add up what assistance or what ad hoc assistance has been provided in 18 and 19 and 20, between WIP and WIP Plus, between trade assistance and now uh, CFAP and PPP and, and other programs, we are spending nearly $50 billion over the last three years on ad hoc assistance. By comparison, the commodity programs in Title I of the Farm Bill were projected to spend $60 billion over a 10 year period from 2019 through 2028. Uh, we have spent three fourths as much as what we project to spend over 10 years on commodity programs, we've spent in three years on ag, uh, ad hoc disaster assistance. Now that's not a judgment of whether disaster assistance was needed or not. Um, Clearly, trade conditions and now COVID-19 conditions have been dramatic, uh, but it is a reality that substantial payments that are greater uh, in nominal terms and greater in real terms um, of anything that we've seen recently 
uh, at least back to uh, the, the 1980s. Uh, we're talking about payments that are uh, substantial and overwhelm the existing safety net. So I close with these questions and look forward to, or with these comments and look forward to questions from the participants. Currently, ad hoc assistance, as I've described, is effectively trumping farm bill programs. And I, I uh, yes, I meant to use the, uh, uh, the pun there, but by all calculations, ad hoc assistance is overwhelming the, uh, the traditional farm bill programs at this point in time. Uh, that calls into questions about what the farm bill looks like going forward. One more current issue that I didn't mention that, that is noted, FSA has opened up enrollment for the 2021 commodity program year and producers face a new ARC versus PLC decision. In 2014, they had one ARC versus PLC decision and they had to live with it for the life of the farm program. In the 2018 farm bill, they were authorized a new decision in 2019 that covered 19 and 20, but then it was also authorized to make a new decision every year. And so 2021 represents a new decision. If a producer is satisfied with their current enrollment, they don't have to decide to make something new, but if they would want to change, they can make a decision. With the projections we've seen, I would venture that most producers that, that shifted to PLC are satisfied and, and likely stay there. Uh, if commodity prices show stronger, it could be that PLC isn't particularly um, significant in 2020 and, or 2021, and it could be that ARC is not significant, so it might not be much of a decision anyway. But recognized producers do face a new decision as they enroll in the Farm Bill next year. Those are the current questions. The questions for the future really lay with Will federal budget pressure matter? Will that put a constraint on either additional ad hoc assistance or future farm bill decisions? We've made substantial payments in 18, 19, and 20. We could end up in 2021 with higher farm commodity prices, but uh, essentially a shut off of the spigot of ad hoc assistance and lower farm income projections. Um, that would be weaning away from, from the, uh, the programs very quickly and very painfully, but it could, it could happen. Will federal budget pressures really matter? At the same time, we're talking about billions of dollars in, in farm program spending and what that may mean for the future. We're also still debating whether there will be another um, uh, COVID stimulus or COVID relief bill. With the debate between a Republican or a Democratic offer of 2.2 or, or more trillion dollars and a Republican counteroffer of 1.6 trillion dollars and no consensus apparently on, on moving forward for now. Uh, if we're talking trillions, maybe billions don't matter. But at some point, you can presume that the budget does again matter or whatever the budget level is, there's always a contest or a challenge over, over budget priorities. So those are issues we face. A second question we face is trade. Um, given the ongoing conflicts and the efforts at bilateral negotiations or perhaps a return to some plurilateral or, or broader negotiations, but not much faith in additional WTO negotiations at this point, maybe trade doesn't matter either, or at least trade commitments. But we technically 
live by the Uruguay Round Agreement commitments that were made back in the 1990s. That would limit U.S. farm program spending uh, in what's called the Amber Box to $19.1 billion. We will have shot long past that number with the additional, with the ad hoc assistance we're providing at present. So does that matter? Well, it could be that almost every country has done something in terms of COVID relief, and it's kind of hard to file a dispute against everybody. And so COVID relief is sort of ignored in the complainant process, and particularly maybe ignored if we think and hope that it's a one-off sort of deal. But the trade assistance uh, does uh, accumulate and does look like a potential uh, concern here. Will trade matter at some point? Uh, that could also constrain our, our policy choices. The 2023 Farm Bill is not that far ahead of us. Uh, theoretically, we have five years, but when it takes two to three years to debate a Farm Bill before we get it in place, there's really not many off years. And the 2023 Farm Bill will be coming off of this substantial increase in ad hoc spending, but none of which officially shows up in uh, uh, in a baseline to help pay for the next farm bill. And so we'll be talking about a farm bill debate tied to commodity program spending, not ad hoc spending. And if it's an ask for additional money to try and formalize some of that ad hoc support, that's a big ask and we'll see what happens. Uh, finally, one of the last questions or the, obviously the most prominent questions of, of the moment is political leadership in 2021. Uh, whatever the outcome of the election next month, um, whatever that means for the White House, uh, whatever that means for Congress, we know that there will be changes in, in political leadership in, in Congress. At a minimum, the uh, chairmanship of the Senate Agriculture Committee will change because of a retirement on, on the Republican side. But whatever direction uh, Congress and uh, the White House move forward in, uh, in the new term uh, will certainly shape uh, this ongoing policy discussion and whether we see a continuation of, of some of the temporary support, whether we see a dramatic shift in policy, uh, whether we see a dramatic um, shift in direction for new farm policy. Those are questions yet ahead. Having laid out those things, hopefully I've left enough time to, to take some questions if they have any. So let me uh, stop with that. Uh, let me stop the share to bring Austin back on the screen with us. And then let's uh, uh, let's move on to questions, Austin. Yeah. So you, let's go with the first question of, and you kind of touched a little bit there at the end, but let's go deeper into it if you can. So the question was, do all these ad hoc payments over the last three years get us in trouble with the World Trade Organization, which you kind of touched on? Right. Um, are there any ramifications that they might pull out of the hat in terms of? repercussions for what happened or what, what do you see coming out of that? You know, um, clearly these ad hoc payments, yeah, do, uh, they certainly look like they would take us over our limits in terms of uh, uh, our commitments to WTO. Relative to the CARES Act payments, the COVID relief, so the CFAP program, uh, the PPP program, et cetera, uh, I could imagine a scenario where where our other countries don't get too anxious about um, challenging U.S. provisions on that, because as I mentioned, almost every country has done something 
related to COVID relief. And given the costs, given the challenges of, of uh, taking a dispute to the WTO, the time it takes, as well as the, frankly, the, the stalemate we have right now with the appellate uh, body process of, of, uh, at the WTO, it's hard to figure out how we would easily resolve the dispute at the WTO, WTO anyway. So if we think everybody did it and we hope that it's a one-off thing, then maybe there's not much challenge to the COVID relief. The trade payments look like they could be challenged more, um, more directly, uh, and it'll be a careful calculation of commodity programs plus trade. Does that get us uh, in trouble with the WTO? That'll be a more a more careful calculation. Okay. Um, are there any key indicators that someone should look at when comparing our county and PLC for the annual election? You know, for the election for 2021 and, and recognizing moving forward that everybody's going to uh, have that choice every year. But for the election for 2021, if, if you looked at the numbers and said current price projections uh, that have been going up in the last couple months mean that PLC projections are getting smaller, and ARC projections are almost non-existent. It's difficult to project payments under the ARC program when prices are moving up because it takes a dramatic yield loss at the county level uh, to, to give us any sort of ARC payments. So ARC looks popular when prices are falling relative to a high benchmark, ARC doesn't look nearly as popular when prices are rising relative to a low benchmark. And that's the world we're in for now. Um, if we're high enough and rising high enough, neither ARC nor PLC would matter much. But until we get back to a more consistently higher price level, PLC probably wins most of the direct comparisons. What are the there will be, I should clarify, there also will be decision tools updated that producers can use for the 2021 period. The same national tools, I, I understand, will be updated again. But the presumption going in is that uh, um, uh, it'll, it'll sort of be PLC's game to lose. Those tools are still Texas A&M, Illinois, and are they Correct. third? Those two? No, th those two. Yeah. yeah. Um, what are the tax ramifications of CFAP, CFAP 1 and 2? Well, you can help me out here. Um, uh, CFAP 1 and 2 are not ag disaster payments that can sometimes be deferred. Well, let me clarify. Crop insurance indemnities can sometimes be deferred to the following year based on when the crop would normally be marketed. Ag disaster payments in WIP or WIP Plus I believe have to be recognized the year that they are received. I believe that's correct. And, and I would expect the same for CFAP 1 and 2. For CFAP 1, all of those payments are received in 2020. They're taxable income for now. Um, for CFAP 2, there's that question of if you've been paid already, that's 2020 income. If you wait to enroll late in the process and and those payments don't arrive until 2021, then presumably they'll be 2021 income. 
And the one other wild card I mentioned in the CARES Act was the PPP program, uh, the payment, the Paycheck Protection Program, uh, 200 million plus maybe to Nebraska producers. Technically that went out as a loan, but it was immediately received as cash flow. So did it get recognized as cash income or does it get put on the books as a loan and it doesn't get recognized as income until it's forgiven? Some of those loans have already been officially forgiven. Some of them may be outstanding into the next year. Uh, we need a good tax account in Austin. Thankfully, we know one. There you go. Are there any other questions? Seeing none, thank you everyone for joining us today. A recording of this webinar will be posted at farm.unl.edu where you can also register for upcoming webinars. As a reminder, check farm.unl.edu for a schedule of more webinars in this series focusing on farm and ranch management issues relevant to Nebraskans. The series continues next Thursday at noon with a look at the financial position of Nebraska Farm with Tina Barrett, Director of Nebraska Farm Business Incorporated. You will receive a short 30-second survey in your email, and we would really appreciate your feedback on today's webinar and your input for future sessions. Thank you for joining us.